pray and jump in. Uh, Jesus, we thank you um, just for who you are. And often I come back to this uh, passage of John 15 that says that we get to remain in you, um, that when we remain in you, that we can bear much fruit, and that apart from you, we can do nothing. And so, Jesus, I pray that we get to stay present to you, that this teaching, the end of this teaching is, is where we get to a place where we stay present to you and your way and your kingdom so that we can experience fruit in our life, uh, that we would experience the goodness of your kingdom and who you are. I pray uh, that would happen here this morning um, as you equip and empower us, that it would also happen with our kids. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, jump to Matthew 7, okay? We are almost done with our Summer on the Mount series. It's, it's a series all on the Sermon on the Mount. And so uh, last week and this week, we've been we're going to cover two of the biggest sources of probably stress and anxiety in our life, all right? So last week, it was all about money, right? Money has a way of um, causing stress and anxiety in our life. And this morning, we're going to talk about the other major source, and that's people, right? Are people uh, an object or a source of stress and anxiety in your life? Uh, think about your work for a second. How many have a boss? Anybody have a boss? Yeah? Is your boss a source of anxiety? Staff, keep your hands down. Is your boss a source of anxiety and stress in your life, right? Or uh, maybe there's some drama that happens uh, within your work that things aren't going super well. It can be... Um, it can be a source of anxiety or stress in your life. If you uh, have kids, right, uh, they could be a source of anxiety and stress in your life. And, and both the, um, you know, just the natural thing of, of young children, or maybe if you're, you're, in, you're retired and you have grown adults and grandkids, that they can not, their, their actions or their things can cause some stress and anxiety in their life just with maybe where they're at in life. Just what we talked about, maybe marriage is a source of stress and anxiety. Uh, even our friendships or even your neighbors, those sorts of things. That people, when we get close to people, right, uh, they can be an object of relational stress and, and anxiety. And so uh, this morning we're going to talk through what would Jesus have to say in regards to our relationships. How would Jesus navigate when maybe things aren't going well with a specific area in our life in regards to relationships? And Jesus is going to show us how to do this. This is all going to be on relationships. And again, this whole point of this whole series is, is we're just trying to build this foundation in our life on the teachings of Jesus. And so, we're, you know, we've been in a rebuilding phase the last couple of years, right, of just a lot of transition post-COVID. And as I was just thinking through uh, in the spring, it's, it's as we're rebuilding, the most important thing is to have a good foundation, right? And, and, and so one of the things I wanted to implement is to make sure our foundation is on the teachings of Jesus. And so the whole Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' famous teachings. He's going to actually show us how should we behave towards others, especially when, when there's somebody doing something wrong or there's drama or there's conflict. How should we navigate those in our life? So we're going to read here in chapter 7, um, the first part of this. Jesus says this. He says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged, for you will be judged by the same standard with which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. 
Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye? Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. All right, we're going to stop there. Lots of happening. Um, but I think there's just the first thing to, to notice in each of these things, uh, these sources of anxiety or stress in our life that Jesus often turns the focus on to us, right? Not to the source of the other people, right? So it's not money is the issue, it's how us, what, what does Jesus want to form in us to navigate all the different things with money? And Jesus, again, turns the attention towards us and gives us a set of warnings that it's not all about the other person, it's first to start with us. And so uh, Jesus is clear on this first part that judgment or being judgmental is not the answer, right? It's not going to help solve the issue here. And it's just one of those things, if you look at different surveys and, da and data, uh, when you, when you um, survey even unchurched people, one of the things we are known for as followers of Jesus is being judgmental, right? If you've ever heard that, that Christians are judgmental, or even this phrase that Jesus uses, uh, hypocrites. And so let's talk through this idea of judgment, because we've got to get a clear picture of what does Jesus actually mean by judgment, all right? That word judge, it actually means to pick out and choose by separating, right? So uh, I have a little analogy here to do this. All right, this is getting weird when you know the pastor uses props, all right? Oh my gosh. All right, that didn't work. Um, so I want you to imagine uh, that I have a nice folding chair right here, all right? This is my folding chair, or what I call uh, my Judge Judy chair, okay, uh, is this idea of judging. And I want you to just picture in your mind what this chair is like up here, all right? And uh, the reason I, I want you to picture a chair, because often when we judge, what we're going to do is we're going to position ourselves, and I particularly wanted to put it up here, is in a way when we judge, we're elevating ourselves. We're saying, I'm superior, I'm, I'm standing at a higher level, and I'm going to judge you, and I'm going to distance myself from you, just like Judge Judy is uh, separated and calls everybody morons, right? That, um, that there's this separation, and I'm going to choose and pick, and I'm going to declare, based off your actions, whether you are good, whether you are bad. So Jesus is saying, do not judge. Here's this chair. Um, and we have this in our culture, right? Have you ever been to like an elementary uh, baseball game or a soccer game? You guys know what I mean. If you've never been, if you've seen your grandkids in there, uh, it gets pretty heated, you know, for an elementary game. Have you seen some parents, and maybe you've been there, right? We get, we say some things that when we get heated or we get angry, we're not seeing the things we want, we, we can get up on uh, the, the chair of judgment, the armchair quarterback, as the phrase goes, and, oh, they just need to do this, or this coach, he's just an idiot. The referees, they're horrible, right? Uh, you guys, I mean, I'm guilty. Don't worry. Uh, this is no shame. This is no guilt, right? We've all been there where we have casted judgment on somebody else based on some of their actions. I like this phrase, at the core of judgment, it is all about creating both distance and making assumptions that may or may not be true. 
And what Jesus is saying is he's given a warning. Don't be the armchair quarterback type of person, right? Don't be the fault finder who is negative and maybe destructive towards other people and enjoys actively seeking out failings. Such a person puts the worst possible construction on their motives of others, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes, right? And so he's like, don't, that's a, that's a type of person. You, you don't want to eventually get to be the type of person who is consistently judging. And here's what I found too, um, is if you're in this position, it's easy to try to pull people up with you, right? To try to create this thing of come up here, let's, let's judge together. It, it would make me feel better. And Jesus is saying that is not the way. That's not the way as followers of Jesus for you to experience my kingdom. Again, he's given this warning. This is the warning. I'm going to put it on the screen. We must abandon the deeply rooted practice of condemning and blaming to, be kind, to become the kind of person who does not judge or condemn. As we do so, the power of God's kingdom will be more freely available to bless and guide those around us into his way. And as I was thinking about this chair, right, if we picture this chair, this, this, this judgment chair, like who gets to sit in it, right? We would think Jesus would be the one who gets to, to sit in this chair. He's the true one who could, you know, uh, separate and make and declare what's good and what's bad. But this, this is the thing. In John, in John chapter 12, Jesus says this. If anybody hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge them. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge. The word I have spoken will judge him on the last day. So even Jesus says, I don't, I'm not going to get in that chair. Because again, judgment is about distance, creating distance and making assumptions. And Jesus' point was, I didn't come to judge or condemn the world. I came to rescue. I came to draw near. Right? And so this is what Jesus is saying. And so he uses this analogy. I'm going to read it again. Right? So why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. So I have a two by four up here, right? So Jesus is like somewhat of a stand-up comedian here, right? He's using this analogy of like, hey, dude, you have a board in your eye, right? Just look how dumb this looks, right? I mean, this is what Jesus is saying. Uh, he uses these uh, ways of teaching, and, and what's the board, right? And a lot of different uh, commentaries will say different things, but Jesus is saying by sitting in this chair of judgment, that's the board. You guys follow me? This is the board. If, if you're sitting in this chair of judgment and condemning others and blaming others, it, you have the board in your eye. And you need to take it out. And then now, because you've created distance, now you can actually draw near and get close to people. And you can actually be helpful in these drama situations, and these things that are causing sources of anxiety and stress. You've, have you ever had this? My wife, you know, every once in a while, I'll probably gets something in her eye. What do you have to do in order to get something out of somebody's eye? You got to get close to them, right? You got to get close to where you can see, because that's part of the, the frustrating things about having something in your eyes. You can't see where it's at, right? And so if I try to do that with a board sticking out of my eye, 
I can't draw near. And so Jesus is saying, in order to be near, you got, you got to get off of the, the judgment seat. So again, condemnation or judgment is the board in our eye, and Jesus is asking to, to take it out. I want to talk about this phrase real quick, because as you probably read it, or as you heard me read it, you're like, that just doesn't make any sense. So I'm going to address this idea. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under your feet, turn, and tear you to pieces. Did Jesus have like a squirrel moment? Like, hey, there's dogs, pigs. What does he mean? Jesus's point is all about being helpful, right? Because in these instances where there's stress, there's conflict, uh, we're not called to just, again, stay back, but we're called to be involved to, to bring restoration in the midst of this. And so he's talking about not worthiness of people, not seeing other people as pigs or dogs, but what is truly helpful. And if you think about dogs and you think about uh, pigs, uh, you, and even in that ancient world, like dogs is not what you think of now, like these little lap dogs that like, you know, uh, this is not what dogs were like then. But dogs and pigs, they desire one thing, food, right? They, they, all they want is food. And so what Jesus is saying, giving them holy things or giving them pearls, those aren't helpful, right? Those aren't helpful things in the midst of this. And there's this idea, if we're in this judgment seat, often we want to try to manage and control people. And we do that sometimes by pushing things on them that, that they're not ready to receive. Dallas Willard says this, frankly, our pearls often are offered with a certain superiority of bearing that keeps us from paying attention to those who are trying to help. We have solutions. That should be enough, shouldn't it? And very quickly, some contempt and patience and anger and then even condemnation slips into our offer. So again, it's just this misguided practice of just trying to push these things on people, try to push these things, which in themselves are valuable, but sometimes we have to think where people are. Are they really ready to receive those things? So again, Jesus is emphasizing uh, for the drama and, and the stress in our life, he's going to have us focus inward, and then what's really going to be helpful? The chair of condemnation is not going to be helpful. Then he wants us to offer us a different seat. We're going to continue in... Um, verse 7 here. He says this, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For, anyone, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. All right. So we're going to talk through then just another way of how can we deal with the anxiety and stress that come from people. And it's this dynamic of the request. I'm going to put this on the screen. It's this, the ask, seek, and knock that Jesus implores us. And I, often we read this as only as prayer. Uh, but this is all in the context of relationships. And so Jesus is actually showing us there is this, this idea of ask, seek, and knock that first applies to our approach to others, not just um, prayer to God. We cannot have one posture towards God and a different one towards other people. And it's this idea of just asking. 
So often, right, uh, we miss this. We, we make these assumptions. We, we tend to just judge. But if you ever recognize just what, uh, like some of these issues could be just solved if you just asked, hey, can you just not do that? Like, this is how it makes me feel. Um, so my wife uh, is good at that because sometimes I do some things that annoy her, right? Just like one or two things. Um, I, I, I've just narrowed it down to one or two things that I do to annoy my wife. And the great thing about my wife is she, she lets me know, right? She's not afraid to let me know how it impacts her when I eat my cereal, all right? And that I'm a little loud. And she has this idea that it drives her nuts. So she asks me, Johnny, don't eat that way, all right? And sometimes it's so ingrained in me, I forget. But here's the thing. So I'm not even recognizing, right? I, I don't even recognize what I'm doing. And, and she's pointing this out. Hey, can you do this? And then again, I have a, an opportunity to choose to honor her or do this. I, like, I don't want to annoy her. Like, I don't want to annoy it. Like, well, that's her problem. It doesn't bother me, right? How's that going to work, right? Another source of anxiety and stress in my life, right? So just this idea of asking, right? It, it leaves no assumptions. So this is what Jesus is saying. Sometimes when we experience like conflict or things that bother us, the Jesus is saying the way we approach that is just ask, right? Seek, knock, be able to share with them uh, how it's impacting you. And, and there's often these things that can be solved if we just, uh, in a non-threatening way, just like, hey, you know when you do that? Like, can you not do that? Because this is, this is how it makes me feel. This is, uh, and do it in a nice, polite way, right? The other thing is we can force that on people. Like, don't do that, right? Well, we can first ask, Again, when I ask someone to do or to be or to give something, something, I stand with that person in the domain of constraint without force or necessitation. It allows us to come together. Again, the opposite of distance is we get to come together and a request by its very nature unites. Again, to be helpful or to receive help means we need to ask, right? If you're most likely like me, if you're a male, that doesn't come too easy, does it, right? We, we don't want to admit need. Uh, we can do everything ourselves. So the only person I usually ask for help is my dad because I know, like, my dad's not going to reject me, right? Um, but again, there's, I'm missing out on something. Uh, when if, if, I don't, if I'm not seeking help, if I'm not seeing to do life with people, by having this independence and saying, I don't need other people, um, but help, seeking and helping, then allows uh, opportunities to come together, to be together. This is a lengthy quote, but I, I, um, I want to share this. He says, the method that Jesus is, is, is showing us, it's the one appropriate for life in God's kingdom, is simply just ask. Asking others for what we need or want is difficult for two reasons. First, it requires being honest and vulnerable about our intention. We must risk exposing ourselves to the rejection of others. Second, asking is difficult because it affirms the dignity and status of the other person as our equal or even our superior. In other words, asking requires humility. If we learn to ask for what we need with honesty and humility rather than for scheming for it, Jesus says we will discover a far better way of life with God and others. Again, if you think about our situations that cause with people, right, and whether it's at work, 
whether it's with our family, our friends, our neighbors. If you look at those situations, just think about what, what those situations would be like if there was a saturation of humility, right? This idea of putting others even above ourself. Again, in order for a community to thrive or for our relationships to thrive, um, those, some of those challenges, not all, right? We, we all wear that. These simple solutions or si- quick fixes, we, we need a whole lot of humility. And the second thing we need there, the dynamic of the request of ask, seek, and knock, is this idea of prayer. The importance of prayer in the midst of these relationships. Um, and, I'll, and you can see this here, right? Jesus says, he kind of transitions from where it's about others, now it's about our position with God, or even the seat we want to take with God. He says this, who among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This is this idea. It's, a, it's being in a posture where then we are able to see God and be dependent on God. There's a quote that has kind of haunted me. Um, not haunted me. Uh, it's just something I, I strive for, something, a goal that I, I'm, I'm seeking to go out in the importance of prayer. And it's this quote from Tim Keller. He says this. It's this prayer that he encourages us to pray towards God. It's this idea, Lord, pray, prayerlessness is a sin against you. It comes from a self-sufficiency that is wrong and that dishonors you. Prayerlessness is also a sin against those around me. I should be engaging my heart and your power in their needs. Lord, I pray with all my heart that you would give me a heart for prayer. Amen. Right? If you just think about the source of power, the source of change that could come from the dynamics of, of how people cause uh, stress and anxiety in life, we miss out on the power of prayer to change things in these relationships, don't we? For our kids, uh, for our marriages, for whatever community we belong into, even in, the, in this church, we, we can miss and miss out on this idea of just taking time to pray, to ask God, you know what we need. We're going to seek you as our source. And so often we, and, and I'll admit, we can get away from just doing our, just trying to do our own things that we think's best and missing out on what God has for us. And there's one last point Jesus wants to drive on, all right? And this is the most, uh, probably one of the most well-known phrases of all of Jesus' teaching. Your mother probably t- told it to you multiple times, Right? And it's both believers and unbelievers, they know this phrase. What, you guys know what it is, right? Whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. So if you, Jesus kind of sums up the law and the prophets. Again, law and prophets just means the Old Testament. This would have been the Bible of Jesus' day. You could sum up the whole thing. In one sense, he, he does it to love God and, and to love your neighbor as yourself. In this instance, it's, this, it's similar in this idea, and this loving your others. This is how we do it. Whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. There's three different rules I heard about. There's uh, the wooden rule, right? We often use that phrase. Sorry, that phrase was, is called the golden rule. Um, but there's the wooden rule, right? Do to others what they do to you. If you have kids, you see the wooden rule all the time. 
Like, why did you punch her? Well, she punched me first, right? It's this retaliation. But this is kind of the vicious cycle of humanity, aren't we? It's, if you do something to me, I'm going to retaliate. I'm going to do it to you. And again, this is actually one of the lowest forms of maturity. We, we get to, to graduate from this idea of wooden rule to now a silver rule, which is don't do to others what you don't want to do to you. So in Buddhism, they say, this is this phrase, don't do harm, right? And there's just a lot of ancient, uh, you know, Confucius and all different things that's representing this idea of just don't do harm. And if you look at Eastern cultures, right, this is a very high value. Just don't do harm. But that doesn't answer sometimes when we have masses of injustice or poverty, right? It's just this idea, well, don't do harm. There must be another cause of that. And so Jesus graduates to even further what we call the golden rule, right? Is doing, actually doing something to others that would, we would want them to do. It, it actually has something to do with alienate or alleviating suffering. Again, the wooden rule, the silver rule, it doesn't get you far enough. It then goes to about love, truly loving people, putting other people's happiness and benefit even above your own. It's seeking the flourishing of all through self-sacrificial love. If you think about our context and all the different things that um, cause us stress and all these different relationships we have, I just want you to think for a moment how that would change if both parties or multiple parties had this mindset to live by of do to others what you'd want them to do to you. How would that change? How would that change the dynamic of that relationship. And so that's the chair that I ultimately want us to get into, is we're not just thinking about a chair that we get to sit in and judge others, but we get to sit at the chair. Uh, and I love this analogy, your heavenly father, we, we are a child, a son and daughter of God. And we get to look around and see these are our brothers and these are our sisters. And then I want you get to just do this practice of imagining yourself in their chair. And what would I want if I was them. There's a book I'm reading, uh, this story, and again, it's, it's somewhat of an extreme story, but I think it, it um, sets this uh, really into place. Um, it's this book called Managing Leadership Anxiety, which needed very much so in these seven to eight months by Steve Cuss. And he's sharing this story uh, where he's a chaplain, uh, a chaplain residency at a hospital. And so he gets a call, and here it's a mother who was in a car accident, and she had three young kids in her car. And in this situation, she didn't buckle the kids in, and the kids were ejected from the car and were in serious condition. And so part of his job was to go and be uh, with the people who are waiting. And so this mom is waiting in the emergency room. And, and he, the guy he shares, his first thing is, he has this high value that he was grown up on as, as buckling your seatbelt. Like, this is just what you do. And so he is just, at first he just shares, I'm just angry at this mom. Because how could you not buckle your kids in, right? And, and, and so he's, he's doing this judgment thing. And so they're kind of waiting in the, in the waiting room. And then uh, the TV's on. And so they're showing the news. And uh, the news actually does a story on this mom and what happened as she's sitting in the emergency room. And she is watching this take place 
where the newscasters are, are sharing about this story about a mom who didn't buckle in the kids, the kids were rejected in serious condition. And then, you know, this is not a bad thing, you know, the news then just goes into seatbelt safety and how, uh, the, as, the, how important it is to make sure our kids are brought, buckled in properly. And, and he shares this story because as he's sitting next to her, everybody in the ER uh, had heard what would happen and they all just looked at this lady, at this mom. And he said, in that moment, uh, I, I, and there he's like, I even felt judgment for me because I was standing next to her. And what he said in that moment was, I began to picture myself in that chair of what, what would I want in that moment? And he began thinking through as a follower of Jesus to do this idea, what does this woman need? And experiencing so much judgment, so much wrongdoing, and, and, and shame, uh, he just said, I began to know that I, 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 more than anything, she just wanted somebody to stand, to stand beside her. And, uh, and I think that just thinks through, that's a, it's a pretty extreme example. You could easily give judgment on her of like, you know, um, but he said, as followers of Jesus, we are called to then picture ourselves in other people's chairs and then asking, what would I want? No matter the situation, what would I want? And I think at the core, if you really ask, what do people really want, right? I think people, as I just began thinking of this, don't you just want people to be with you, to like come alongside of you, to not be alone, to, to have people who are for you, who support you, who encourage you, um, people who see the best in us, not the worst. I think we can boil it down to really simple things when we picture people and picture what they would want because I think all of those things are things we want, don't we? We want those things in our life. And so uh, the way we do that is we picture people in those seats and then ask, okay, um, what can I do about it? So that's your, uh, your homework, I guess, for this week. The way we apply this to our life is I want you to actually take time this week, just set apart a day. Uh, if you do this normally every morning, uh, maybe you don't normally have this custom uh, to, to spend some time praying, but I want you to pick one or two, whether it's difficult people, difficult situations, right? Um, and I want you to spend time praying and asking God uh, in the midst of those situations. Like, God, what do you want? And even asking God what you want to happen in that situation. And then getting to a place, then I want you to picture yourself in that person's chair and say, if I were blank, what would I want today? If I was uh, Susie, what would Susie want today? If you're Susie, uh, uh, what, what do you want? No, I'm just kidding. Um, if it's just th picturing, thinking through, what would that person want and how can I commit to treating that people uh, because, as I would want to be treated? I'm going to just close here because uh, I want us to picture through this. Jesus, again, shows us a different way of how to interact and, and deal with conflict. And again, the focus is on us. And, and here's the deal. As I was praying about this, and how do I, I wrap it up? Um, if I had a chair up here, it'd be really great. Um, but I just felt like Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you, what chair do you want to sit at? Because ultimately, what chair you sit at is who you'll become. So if you, if you want to, we all... Uh, we all find this chair nice, you know, especially after the Buckeyes lose, because we get to tell, you know, Ryan Day all the things he did wrong, right? 
Uh, and it's easy to keep distance from mess, isn't it? When people come together, uh, inevitably we're, we're all not perfect, and, and so it's easy to sit at a chair and, and to keep that distance. But I thought Jesus, too, is offering us another chair, uh, another chair at his table where we get to experience him as our Heavenly Father who knows all that we need, that has great things for us. And, and we get to picture him as our Heavenly Father that we can ask and live a life uh, where we get to ask him and then we get to see people differently as our brothers and sisters. Yeah, ultimately, and that's so for some of you, you've never set, seen yourself uh, at that table. You've never seen yourself at the table that God's inviting you. You're saying, Johnny, I don't belong at that table. You don't know what I've done. Well, of course, you know, we've, we've all been there. But Jesus' invitation is, I didn't come to judge you, right? I come to, to save you, to draw near wherever you're at. There's nothing you've ever done that would want to keep me away from you. This is Jesus' message. And so he's inviting some of you to, to come to a table, uh, to experience him as this heavenly father, and to experience a family that you've never experienced before. Like here at the Vineyard, we say this a lot. Uh, we we're just encouraging. As a, as a Vineyard church, we want to be a restorative family. That, that whatever hurt you've experienced in your family, that, that you get a seat at the table and experience what it means to be a part of his kingdom and to be part of a family. Um, and that's been our experience. It's been an experience for my wife. It's been an experience for us. That you have a seat, a chair at that table that Jesus is inviting you to. And then for us who have said yes to Jesus, who, who have, uh, have made a commitment to follow Jesus, Jesus is now inviting you to sit at the chair of the other person. To, to strategically and intentionally think about the people who are, who are rubbing us the wrong way, to show us a way. I want you to sit at their chair, and then I want you to be Jesus to them.